weeks, we've been celebrate, celebrating the Advent, um, where we've been uh, praising the Lord for his, his first coming, as well as looking forward towards his return. And over the last four weeks, we've been discussing the topic of joy, love, peace, and today, hope, and uh, lighting a candle uh, as a, a symbol to remind us of, of each thing. And so the first week we, we talked about love and Pastor Leon talked about that, 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 that ultimate act of love of our, our Savior, our God coming in the flesh um, to dwell amongst us, uh, to die for our sins. And then the following week, our brother J.D. preached to us about what true peace is, uh, that Shalom peace that is uh, that is only brought through um, by our Savior, and then last week uh, our brother, um, well, I forgot our brother name Nate. <laughs> Sorry about that, Nate. Uh, spoke to us about joy and what true joy is, and so on. Today I'm going to be preaching to you on the subject of hope. You know, fam, this is uh, the the holiday season, and to be quite honest with you, I'm probably not the biggest fan of the holiday season. And when I say that, I'm not um, talking about the Advent. Okay, what what I'm talking about is the the jingle bell stuff, the 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 deck the halls with whatever of holly. You know, just that, just just. The, I guess the, the, the nuances of this season, right? The Utah cheer and just all these other things. Um, um, you know, I just find this time of year to be, quite frankly, at times annoying. You know, I'm sorry. But as much as I want to be, um, to be above the holiday spirit, at some point I always fall victim to it. And it's usually by a song, and one song in particular is that is that chestnuts roasting over in an open fire. And I don't know what it is about that song, but when that song plays, I begin to have like images of chestnuts roasting, and begin to even smell chestnuts roasting, which is which is weird because I've never actually been around chestnuts roasting, <laughs> but. But in my imagination, it, it, it smells strangely like bacon. And so, <laughs> and so like everybody else, I, I find myself caught up in the in magic of this, this time of year. And indeed, this, this time of year is what they call is what? The most wonderful time of the year, right? It's that most joyful time of the year. And as I begin to look around um, and really kind of think about this time of year, I, I began to ask myself, why is everybody so festive? Like, I know why we're joyful. 
is because we're celebrating uh, the coming of our Savior and his return, right? So I understand why we are so festive, but, but why is the rest of the world so, so happy? What are they celebrating? And as I'm looking at the stores and I'm looking at holiday decorations and I'm looking at all these type of things, I begin to see this theme of love, joy, peace, and hope. The same themes that we here been celebrating. Now, unless there was a, a worldwide revival that I miss, I don't think the world is celebrating the same joy and the same love and the same peace and hope that we're celebrating. And so I began to kind of just ponder and to think about um, what is joy and peace and hope to the world? What is the world so happy about in this time of year? And uh, we can go to the first slide. And I began to think about kind of the world concept of hope, where at first you have this self-help hope the pursuit of things that will bring joy and personal fulfillment. You know, this is the hope where uh, we are, uh, where little kids are hoping to get that Xbox or, or maybe, uh, or someone is hoping that a family member will come back home from overseas or, or, or just an array of different hopes where um, these, these, these things of, um, these material things bring joy and, and hopefully uh, happiness to the person who is, is seeking it. And so it's kind of a, um, a self-centered hope. Uh, the second one is a social hope, the pursuit of world peace through tolerance and coexisting. You know, right now we live in a, in a world where man thinks that he could bring peace to this earth. And one of the ways that he's trying to do this is is really just thinking like if we could just coexist, if we can just be like the great prophet Rodney King and and just get along, then we can we can you know work things out. But the reality of it is, and actually it's pretty frightening for the Christian this particular hope because usually the tolerance and coexisting that the world desires. Our faith is a threat to that. And so peace for the world ultimately, in some sense, means persecution for the Christian. So this is the the social hope. And then there's the salvific hope. And that is the pursuit of salvation through false religious systems. You see, whether it's Islam or um, Jehovah Witness or or Mormons or uh, any type of New Age experience, all these religious systems are are basically putting their hopes in some path to to God. They're putting their hope in this in, in salvation that is brought about through their works and what they can do. And so that's kind of this um the salvific hope. Um and so these are the three um of um uh, false hopes that I I kind of was thinking about. But now let's look at what is true hope. Well, the scriptures does speak of these type of hopes where in Proverbs 10, 28, it says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Job 8, 13 says, such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish.
perish. And so all these hopes that we talked about, that self-hope where you put your, your fulfillment of life in, in things and, and the hope that, you know, we could bring about world peace by coexisting and tolerance and, and the hope of being able to earn our salvation, all these things will ultimately perish. And along with that, the hopes will be the person who held on to those hopes that they too will perish. And so let's talk about what is hope. Hope is a, a confident expectation, a desire for something good in the future. You see, family, the Christian hope is a fact that is reality. It's not built up on man's fantasies or wishful thinking. And we can have confidence because our hope is not anchored to clouds, but to the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who by his life, death, and resurrection has not only earned salvation, but also secured this hope. And so this is the hope that we're going to be um, talking about today. This is that hope that is a reality that is built on fact. Amen? All right. Next slide. All right, so what I want to do is take you uh, to Genesis 3, 14, and 19, where I feel like this is the, the first time in Scripture that we see hope. And it says, Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Uh, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have uh, listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I command you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Oh, can you go back? Go up again. All right, it gets one more time. All right, and so I want to kind of put some context uh, to this scripture before we go into it. Um, All right, so in the beginning, God created man, right? And, well, in the beginning, God created the world and everything in it, and it was good. And at the apex of his creation was man. And not only was man created good, but unique, because he was created in the image of God. You see, God created man to be like him and to be his representative on the earth. His desire was for us to bring him glory by, by ruling and caring for the creation well, by, by uh, being fruitful and multiplying other image bearers who, who would also give him fame and spread his glory throughout the world, right? And so he gave uh, Adam and Eve this charge, and, and in the garden, Adam and Eve experienced the full joy and the full presence of the Lord. Um, I'm reminded of Psalm 1611, where it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
And like I said, Adam and Eve was in the presence of God. They were experiencing the fullness of joy. And to add to that, they were experiencing true peace. And that peace that our brother J.D. talked to us about last week, where it's a, a state of universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. And so all around Adam and Eve, they were just surrounded by God's goodness. But unbeknownst to them, there was an advent of evil to come. This evil being Satan. And Satan, who had already rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven, now was on the earth. And his mission was to destroy every good work of God. And his first strike was to go after God's beloved children. And then this is how he did it. In Genesis 2.15, we read, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you will, that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gave Adam one rule, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we all know that when God gives us a rule, that is, is for our benefits, right? But Satan convinced Eve otherwise. So Satan deceived Eve and made her to doubt God, God's word and his good intentions towards her and, and Adam. And she basically gave into what is called a threefold temptation, which is the lust of the flesh. She saw that the fruit of the tree as good as it was good to eat, the lust of the eyes, the fruit was pleasant to the eyes and the pride of life, a tree desirable to make one rise. And so she ate, and so did Adam. And so, and, um, so what happened was there was, I guess what you could say was a trial where God um, sought out Adam and Eve and asked them what they have done. And, and basically Adam threw Eve under the bus and essentially blamed God for what had happened. Um, and Eve blamed Satan, and God had heard enough. And so here we find God's verdict. All right. And so in Genesis 3, 14, 19, it says, Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you should go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And so God begins his verdict by giving a judgment to, to Satan. And so Satan, who wanted to put himself above all the creation, now finds himself the lowliest of creation. Go to the next one. And then he says, I will put, well, go back. So as he's given Satan his judgment in verse 15, oh, you can go back. Um, as he's given Satan his judgment in verse 15, the judgment, it continues. But at the same time, God is giving Satan his judgment he, he begins to give Adam and Eve hope. And what I find extraordinary about this is that even before Adam and Eve received the consequence of their action, God and his mercy and his kindness didn't leave them without hope. And that's one of the great things about our God, that no matter how bad we mess up, even when it's a, a failure of epic proportion, 
He never leaves his beloved hopeless. And so here we see as the judgment of Satan continues, it goes right into the hope of man. So it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Then the woman, he said, I will surely multiply. Oh, okay. He should bruise his heel. Um, What we're talking about here is that when scripture is saying, I will put enmity between you and a woman, basically that peace that they experience is no more. That now peace has been replaced by warfare. And that now when we look at this passage of scripture uh, in light of the New Testament, we know that this warfare is going to be be Satan and his offsprings, meaning Satan and all unbelievers versus Christ and his church. Amen. And so this is the ultimate battle of good and evil, Satan versus the kingdom of God. And so you got this war that's going to take place. But when you get to verse 16 or verse, well, when the verse continues, um, uh, go back up. I'm sorry, the way I kind of get thrown off here. And so you got this warfare, but this warfare where you see where it says he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This warfare is not going to continue forever, that there's going to be a victory. And so there's going to be an ultimate salvation for Adam and Eve, for all of mankind. And so this is the, the first sight of hope that we see in Scripture. And so when Adam and Eve are, is drove driven out of the garden, they went sad, right? Because now they're being put out of the presence of God. But they didn't leave the garden without hope. They had hope. And we don't know if they fully understood or could appreciate what that hope would be, right? Because when we look at the scripture, we know the end result. But what I want you to see here is that this was that the, the first twinkling, the first uh, tinge of hope, and that before God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, they had this hope. All right, so let's go. I keep going. All right. And fam, I'm uh, I may be coming off a little sluggish. It's not because I'm I'm not hopeful and joyful, but uh, just getting over a bug and just getting my strength. So uh, uh so uh, just be patient. All right. And so hope and the promise of Abraham. And so the um, hope begins to manifest itself first in promises to Abraham. We're in Genesis 12 and 14. Well, Genesis 12 verses 1 through 4 and Exodus 24, uh, 3 through 8. God is, gives Adam as well as his um, descendants uh, promises. And in these promises, um, there was the promise of seed, um, offsprings, land, nation, personal uh, well protection by God, blessings for all humanity. Um, all right. And so in the early stages of the Old Testament, we see that the promise of God begins to play out 
or the hope begins to play out in promises. Um, and these promises was pretty much in the beginning linked to this world. But as um, but in the later uh, pages of the Old Testament, we begin uh, the God began to make known His plan to bring about an everlasting kingdom uh, to the earth, and we find that in Daniel two forty four, um, and then also a resurrection of the dead. And so the promise began first um, where it seemed to be focused on this world, but then as the pages of Scripture and as God's plan of redemption begins to unfold, we see that it goes not just for this world but also for the world to come. And also, and we can go through the next slide. And also, as God is unfolding his plan of salvation to, uh, to man, we also see that through the Old Testament, we see a thread of messianic prophecies. And these are prophecies that are pointing Israel, pointing God's people to the Messiah, to the Savior to come. And in scripture, there's like hundreds of them. Um, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to go through four of them with you. And it says the Messiah will be born of a woman. We read that in Genesis 3.15. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. The Messiah will be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. And the Messiah will come from the line of Abraham. All right. And so throughout the Old Testament, the whole, well, the Old Testament is basically saturated with God pointing his people and pointing us to Christ, to this, to this Messiah that will be coming to save us from our sins. And so that's just kind of a super brief Old Testament um, survey. Now we're going to go on to the next slide. All right, and so now, as the pages of the New Testament opens, uh, we see that God has made good on his promise. In Matthew one twenty three, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's with us. And so now this, this, this prophecy that began at, this, at the beginning, at at the fall, so to speak, this, this hope that was given to man at the fall that went throughout all the pages of the New Testament, 3,500 years later, has now come to fulfillment. And so, and, and, and because of the life and the work and the death, the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has earned us our salvation, and also secured our hope. In 1 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures. It's not going to be on the, the, um, on the um, screen and stuff. That was my fault for not putting them there. But, um, and so Christ comes and he earns our salvation and he secures our hope. Now, I want you to look at 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from 
the dead. Now, fam, this is like a fantastic um, passage of scripture. First of all, we see the, the source of our hope. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? They are the one who, who like, uh, like I said, God uh, is the source of our hope. Christ secured our hope. And then according to his great mercy, this is the reasoning. It was just because God is, is good. In the garden where Adam and Eve fell, not only, you know, when Adam and Eve fell, like before they fell, they saw God as creator of the universe, as the sovereign ruler of all. They saw him as good. They saw him as loving. They saw him as loving. But because of their sin, they had to see God as just. But because God loves his children with a steadfast love, uh, that's that special love, that love that he is patient with us and he is merciful. Because of this, when they, when they fell into sin, right, he just wasn't done with them, but that he gave them hope, right? And so the hope wasn't because of anything Adam and Eve had, had done or anything good in themselves. It's because God is good and he's merciful. And so at the fall, even though they saw God as, as judge, but they also had the benefit of seeing God as the God of hope as well as the God of mercy. And so here we see that God, the Father, and Jesus are the source of the hope. The reasoning is because of his great mercy. And he has caused us to be born again. So what that is talking about is our regeneration, our, our, the fact that now we are awakened and we're made alive. All right. And that, that work is done by the Holy Spirit. Right. The Holy Spirit bring new life and makes us alive to the things of God. Before our salvation, we were dead in our trespasses and stuck in basically la-la land, right? So we're down here living, creating our own fantasies, uh, creating our own hopes, um, living a life as we thought that it should be lived, right? And at one point, that was all of us. But then the Holy Spirit comes and make us alive, where now we can, um, and he points us to Christ, where now that we can, um, where now this whole plan of redemption makes logical sense, right? The fact that there is a God and he's holy and he's just, and the fact that we are sinful and need of a savior. The Holy Spirit comes and he begins to point us to Christ. And, and, and in doing so, we are convicted of our sins and we are able to receive salvation. And so, we, so he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the dead, um, through, the dead through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Does that make sense? Um, we're going to go to the next slide. And this one, it says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Um, what is going on here is that, you know, one of the things that here at MacAb, where we're always preaching is that the kingdom is the now and not yet. The kingdom is here as it pertains to his heart, to the rule of Christ in the hearts of his people, right? Um, but there's also the, but we're also waiting for the kingdom to be officially inaugurated with the return of our Savior. Our salvation is the same. Where, our, where we receive salvation, but it's not fully, um, um, that our salvation is not fully realized. Um, But not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruit of the spirit. And so the spirit seals us. And this is like the down payment. This is the, the pledge of um, that. This, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little lightheaded up here. All right, I'm sorry about that, fam. So basically our salvation, where at salvation our souls were redeemed, but our bodies weren't redeemed. And so here we are eagerly waiting um, for our salvation to be fully realized. But if we, um, to be fully realized when Christ, um, he comes back and we're, and we're, free from this fleshy body, this, this body that causes so much pain and so much grief, this body that is a hindrance uh, to us that one day, not only will we receive, we have our souls redeemed, which we have now, we will also have our bodies redeemed. And so salvation, once again, is that we have received salvation, but we won't fully receive the full realization of salvation until the coming of our Savior. Next slide. And so right now, I want to just kind of point you to some of the objects of hope um, and some of the benefits of, of hope once that, that day when Christ comes back. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and hope for, um, and the helmet the hope of our salvation. Uh, go to number two. Uh, the second one. Uh, righteousness. For through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. Three. Now when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the others Pharisees, we cried out in the council. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on, on trial. And so we, so we are waiting for that day when we receive our bodies and so we can participate in, in full righteousness. We are waiting for the resurrection, waiting for our, our resurrection. And, and then also in four, 
you know, eternal life and hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages begin. And so this hope was eternal, that in eternity, God knew that Adam and Eve would fall. He knew that sin would come into the world. And he already laid out a plan to redeem us, to redeem us, to save us. And in five, glory. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. Let's continue. And then ultimately, this is the ultimate hope that we are longing, that we are waiting for. And it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so, fam, we are waiting for this day where our Savior comes and when he, and, and, and when he, when he puts to death all his enemies and he, he ushers in true peace again, that, that, that peace and that joy that Adam and Eve first experienced in the garden, that too will come again where we will be able to truly, without any burdens, without any sins, love the Lord with all our hearts, our mind, our soul, and strength without any inhibitions. And so that is the ultimate um, glory that we are waiting for. All right. And so hope, our response. So how do we as believers respond to this hope? Well, first, the first response to hope is, is trust. Genesis 15, 1 through 6, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. For Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and with the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Next slide. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he, could, and he counted it to him as righteous. And so here God gave Abraham these, these promises, right? And, and up to this point, God, he, he blessed Abraham. He he, he was a man of wealth, and he, he came through on some of these promises. But this one of giving him an offspring, right, the one that Abraham wanted the most, had not right, it, it hadn't happened yet. 
And so, um, and so Abraham was meditating on this thought. But Christ came, well, God at this time came and began to minister to Abraham and reminded him of his promises. Um, and then there's this beautiful commentary on this passage of scripture we find in Romans 4.18, where it says, In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. And so here, Abraham was fretting um, over the fact that he hadn't received his child. Um, it was at the time when he was like 100 years old. His wife was old. They were beyond the point of being able to have a child. And he was wondering, like, how is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? He was, he was doubtful. But what God did was, in his kindness, he came and he, he reminded Abraham of his promises. And he reminded him that he will come through and fulfill his promises. And after God ministered to Abraham, he believed. You know, this, this, it reminds me so much of our walk, right? We, we get this gift of hope, right? Well, we believe. We, we know that Jesus is coming back. But it's a long wait, you know, for him to return, right? And we don't know when he's going to return. And we see all this suffering, all this stuff going on around us. And at time, our trust, our hope begins to waver. And what you see is that God is, is continuously, through his word, reaffirming us. I want you to go to the next passage of scripture, right? That Christ, that God is constantly reaffirming us of his promises. Just like the promises were so saturated throughout the Old Testament, so are they in the New Testament. And that's why it's so important us to be just saturating our minds and renewing our minds with the word of God. And I want to just kind of maybe give you some practical ways of doing this. Okay, first of all, it's in Psalms 42, 5, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with, within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, one of the things that uh, John Piper says is that we got to, that hope is a fight, isn't it? You know, when God gave us hope, it was in the same breath as he told us that it was going to be spiritual warfare. It was in the same breath as he delivered the verdict to man where there's going to be sin. And, and, and we know that sin just, it just permeates every aspect of our being, right? And so at times where we have this hope in God and we know that it's going to come, that it's going to come, unfortunately, we can get swept away in our flesh. And when we do this, one of the things that we see David does is he begins to preach. He begins to preach to himself. You know, there's going to be a time where, or there's often times where you're not going to have your mad group around. You, you know, the, uh, your, your brother, your discipler is not going to return a phone call. It's going to be in the middle of the night and your body and your flesh and you're going to be anxious and you're going to have anxieties and you're going to have all these type of things and you're, you're, you're struggling with doubt. And what David did here was he began to preach to himself, right? And that's so important why we need to have the word is that when you get to this point where your body is out of control, 
This is when you preach the word to yourself. You preach the gospel to yourself. You remind God. You remind yourself of the hope that you have in God, right? He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him and my salvation, my salvation, my God. Then go to the next passage. And then I, I, and I love this passage of scripture because that not only do we preach to ourselves, but then also as a covenant community, we need to be continuously preaching to one another. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful, is plentiful of redemption. Oh, MacGaff, oh, Mac groups, right? Hope in the Lord. You know, as we are dealing with so much drama in this community, right? Our homes are being broken into. We are dealing with death. We are dealing with just all type of attacks. You know, we're, we're dealing with attacks from the outside. We're dealing with attacks from the inside. We need to be a body that is constantly calling out on the name of God, constantly reminding each other in our mad groups to trust in the Lord, to hope in the Lord. You know, I remember just one day I was really wrestling with this and, and, and Pastor Russ, you know, just opened up the word of God and just pointed me to scripture and oh, how that just did my soul so good to be reminded of the hope that we have in God. And, and so family, as we're doing this, because you need to be strong for me, and I need to be strong for you, because there's going to be times where I'm going to be tripping, right? I'm not going to be trusting in nothing. I'm going to go and be blessed are those who mope, right? And I'm going to need your faith. I'm going to need you to minister hope to me to get me through. And I need to be strong because I know that you are going to come to me and I'm going to be able to minister that, that, that hope and that trust to you as well. And so we need to be preaching to ourselves as well as, as, well as preaching to one another so that when we go out into this community, we can go with a boldness to preach a gospel, to be able to defend this hope and to be able to give real hope to the people in this community, because I'm going to tell you, it's, you know, as we look at so much that goes on, I remember there was a documentary that uh, we hosted in the Mac building. And this documentary was basically talked about how the war on drugs has affected the African-American community. And I mean, it was just really kind of jacked up where it, where the way that society came after the war on drugs, it really attacked the people of the community that we were basically um, somewhat uh, oppressed because because of, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. We were the, 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 the Yeah, the war on drugs, thank you. All right, because of the war on drugs, right, the way that it had a negative impact on the African-American communities where it puts us in this cycle of uh, where fathers, you know, will 
sell drugs and then they would go into prisons and then the children wouldn't have fathers to grow up and then they fall into this system and then it was this continuous cycle that goes on and on and on and on and on and the and the 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 government their suggestion was basically like if you do the crime you pay the time without looking at any of the impact that he had in our community well, we were looking at this documentary and we were talking about some of the things that we can do to bring, um, to be able to minister to the suffering that's going on in our community. But the reality of it is, is this, is that, you know what? The laws may not ever change, right? That father in prison may not ever get out. That mother may lose her children to the streets. But we could preach hope to that mother that even though where it looks like everything around her is hopeless, we could come and say, no, you can hope against hope. Even though the, the, the world saying is that you're going to be in poverty forever, there's nothing that you can do, right? This is the situation with your family. Um, just whatever the circumstances is that we who are the prophets of hope can go out into our community, our neighborhood, and preach a real hope. They don't have to go to a, a city council meeting. They don't have to put their hope in a president, right? They don't have to put their hope in legislation because I don't know if the city council ever going to get it right. I don't know if the presidency ever going to get it right. I don't know if these laws will ever change. I don't know if the world will get it right, but I know my Savior will. I know that he's going to come back and he's going to make everything right. And we have this message. So we don't hold this message and just wait for him to come. But we go out and with boldness, we preach this message of reconciliation and redemption to the world. All right, let's keep going. All right, and so, and so while we're doing this, we rejoice in hope. We be patient in tribulation and constant in prayers. Okay, so because of our hope, we always got something to praise God about, right? You know, like no matter, you know, when they break into our homes, break into our cars, you know, at home with the flu or some stomach virus or whatever, we always got hope and we always got a, a reason to rejoice. I was standing, I was at uh, Walgreens uh, yesterday and I was getting a prescription for my wife. And there was this older woman who was getting a prescription and there was something going on where, you know, her insurance wasn't working out or whatever it is. And stuff, and you know, you could tell that she was really sick because <coughs> it seemed like she could barely stand there and, and wait for them to get her insurance situation played out. But when they got it, but when they got it worked out and she got her prescription, she was like, Oh, I am going to praise the roof off the church tomorrow morning. And I mean, she had like, and she went from like shivering and kind of sickly. And then she just kind of like, she was still kind of shakily as she was walking out, you know, but she was rejoicing in the Walgreens 
And it made me feel bad because I'm like, man, that sucks. I gotta, you know, I'm up here miserable and, and upset because they're taking all day. But this woman in this, in this trial, in this brief moment, she was able to rejoice. And she was able to teach the preacher who was going to preach the next day on hope that, yo, you know, rejoice in any circumstances. And it said, be patient through tribulation as we go through suffering. We need to be patient. And then it says, constant in prayer. And family, let us not do all this at the neglect of prayer. Because prayers will we find our strength. Prayers will we get refreshed. Prayers when we go and we commune with our hope. When we commune with our Savior. Right? And keep going. To, uh, oh, no. Go back. Then more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces character, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And here this is showing us that hope is a part of the Christian character. And just like every other element of our Christian character, hope is something that needs to be matured. You know, when we first came to Christ, you know, I don't know about you, I, I was just pretty much... I was happy to be in the club. I was happy that I was going to heaven and not hell, right? Um, but that was kind of the extent of it at that moment. I, I still didn't fully understand the significance of this great hope. But over time and through trials and, and, and through um, suffering and through reading of the word, um, my hope has been matured. And it's the same way for you all, is that as we go through all these things, that, that the beautiful thing is that as we suffer loss, it doesn't go without a purpose. When we suffer pain, it's not without a purpose. Um, I remember watching Dr. Phil, don't judge me. Um, I was watching Dr. Phil and this woman, she felt hopeless, right? She went through all type of therapy. She had just this crazy deep down depression, right? And there was no, she felt hopeless. In fact, she communicated, there's no hope for me, right? Because she went through all of man's repertoire to, to make her feel whole again, right? And... And so her last resort was she went to <laughs> Dr. Phil. And, and what happens is, is that Dr. Phil is saying, he got this scan of the brain. He's saying, you're depressed because this, 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 and the other, and this is what's going on. And he gave her the cause, but he never gave her hope, <laughs> right? So she knew that she was tripping. She knew that her brain was sick, but basically it was just kind of like, yeah, well, we can try something else. But this woman was at the point where she was at the point of doing electrotherapy, shock treatment, and nothing worked. She was at a place of total hopelessness. And how sad is this, that she's living this life going through such misery without any purpose. That is the epitome of hopelessness, to go through this life without without any purpose, to go through pain and suffering with nothing on the other end, right? But with us, our, our hope, our pain, and our suffering matures us, and, and, it, and it makes us 
go to the next slide. And it, and it builds our desire for the return of our Savior. And it says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And so, Paul here is, you know, you see this, you know, situation where he's he's in jail. And he doesn't know how this is going to end. But if it, if it ends with him getting executed, you know, so be it. He knows that he'll be, you know, in eternity with his Savior. But if it was to stay on this earth, he was cool to stay on this earth as well and continue to labor because he knew that there would be fruits from his labor. And, and I love the first part where it says, eager expectation and hope that I would not be at all ashamed. Family, our hope it would not embarrass us. It would not bring us any dishonor. You know, people may knock the gospel. They may think that it's, it's foolishness, but it won't bring us shame that Christ will come and we will have our day with him. Amen. You know, I think about all the false prophets that are on this earth now that are, are making declarations of the end of the world, right? And what happens? The end of the world doesn't come. And they, as well as their followers, are ashamed. But there's no threat of that happening to the believer. Continue. And then this last part for desire. It says, as everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You know, one of the things that builds desire in us is the pursuit of righteousness. You know, think about it. In heaven, there's no sin. In the presence of God, there will be no sin. And so as we fight the good fight of faith, as we we fight to pursue righteousness. We, we fight to put our flesh into submission, right? We beat our flesh into submission. As we do all these things, right, we, we, we are cultivating a desire for his return. We are cultivating this desire for good, for righteousness, right? We are experiencing actually a little piece of heaven on this earth because when things are good and, and, and when, when righteousness is happening, you know, in us or around us, that's like heaven. And so as we see the things, as I'm looking at Matt Group and, and I'm here in this body and I'm serving with you guys and we are caring for one another and we're battling sin, right? It, 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 it's just like a, it's, it's like a little piece of heaven here. And, and, and I pray that as you fight righteousness, as you fight for righteousness, as you fight for purity, that it wouldn't be uh, a fight to not just have fun. You know, God is not a no fun cop, 
right? That the reason that he have rules and these laws is, is because it's for our benefits. And so as we are fighting for purity, fighting um, um, to, to, to be cleansed of sin, at the same time, we are experiencing him and we're, we're experiencing delight. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Um, and then the final. And this is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And so, fam, as we celebrate in this Advent season, right, I pray that you are experiencing great joy. I pray that you are experiencing great peace and that you are abounding in hope. And the reason why we can enjoy hope and the reason why we can enjoy peace is because of the hope that we have. Is because that we know that it's going to end all good for the saints. Amen. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, you are the God of hope. Lord God, you are our God of hope. You are our joy. You are a peace, Lord. And as we are down here, Lord, I pray that we will suffer well, Lord, on your behalf. That, Lord, that we will trust you. And, Lord, that we will desire your return. And, Lord, we also pray that we will be faithful to preaching your word to the nations, Lord. And, Lord, all this I pray in your name. Amen.